so just before the kids get dismissed uh, to their classes, I had one thing I wanted to say. Uh, one of the MVPs around here for the last year or so that uh, you're probably not even aware of is, is Joe Ragsdale. Uh, if you enjoy the app, how many of you have the app and you enjoy it? There you go. Joe is directly responsible for that. Uh, he's currently kind of revising our website and doing a lot of other things. So he's been done a lot of behind-the-scenes stuff for us. This morning is his uh, debut. He's preaching. Uh, and so I need to give you my spiel that I always give uh, because these young guys deserve it. And that is you guys never laugh at any of my jokes. And I know it's because I'm obtuse and strange, but I don't care if they're funny or not. If he tries to tell a joke this morning, laugh. Okay? Smile, nod your head, take notes, lean in, uh, because it's a great ministry that we have. Uh, preachers are made great by the congregations they get to preach to. So be a church uh, that, make, that is committed to making guys great. And here's what that means. It means that on a Sunday like this, in the middle of the summer, when it may feel like it's kind of a day off, it's kind of, you know, not normal, not the normal thing, not the normal guys are up front. Listen, here's the thing. We need to change the way we think about that. The days when we let these young guys preach are the most important days. And in, in, I mean, they're the most important days. They're the days when everybody should show up because if we're going to be something more than just religious consumers who come to church and kind of get our ears tickled or we get to hear our favorite preacher or sing our favorite song, if we're going to be more than that, if we're going to be people that are really on mission in our city, then one of the things that we have to be able to do as a church over the next 25 years is raise up leaders, raise up young men as preachers that we can send out. And that's part of what's happening this morning. So this is the most important Sunday of the whole summer. So thanks for being here. Okay, and make it, make it that. Let it feel like that to you uh, because you have, you, instead of these, a lot of the work being done up here today, you have some great work to do today uh, to welcome and to receive this young man who has never done this before, but who gets to do it uh, this morning. Now he's preaching on anxiety and I've told him you're not allowed to be anxious about anxiety, okay, (laughs) about preaching on anxiety. So help him, help him with that too, all right? You guys are a blessing. It's great to be up here and to be able to look out at you every week. So thank you for doing that. Uh, Jonathan, you want to come? Our scripture this morning comes from the book of Philippians, chapter 4, verses 4 through 9. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I'll say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be, be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. This is God's word. Thank you, Susan. Uh, As Drew said, my name is Joe Ragsdale. So for those of you that don't know me, I will provide a brief little biographical sketch. Although in terms of the joke, I really only have one joke planned, and it's at Drew's expense. I don't know if he wants you to laugh at that or not when we get there, but, you know, you play it by ear. Um, My name is Joe. I'm 25. I'm from Winter Haven. I lived here pretty much my whole life. I, uh, I went to Winter Haven High School, and after graduating there in 2008, I went to a small uh, Baptist college in the Panhandle, and then I finished my last, my last semester of school back here in Winter Haven, attending Redeemer, and then I went to Reformed Theological Seminary in Orlando, and I recently graduated. 
there. And so now I'm an intern, which the question I get asked all the time is, so what exactly do you do? And well, I'm glad you asked. I'm here to finally put that, uh, debunk that question. Um, I'm an intern, and you guys have all probably been interns in your various fields, what, you know, whatever it is. So you kind of know what it's like. You're the go-to person for anything physically demanding, uh, especially furniture moving, which happens all the time. Uh, you're the person that makes copies and you know runs errands. And in the case of Drew, if you've you know noticed his polar pop, and then it's always filled. That's me too. You know, getting refills of Diet Coke. Uh, but but in all seriousness, uh, this is a time of preparation for me. A time of kind of considering my call and what that means. Um, and part of that includes teaching. So this morning uh, will be my first of hopefully several times up here. Uh, if, you're, if you're new, we've been going through a series called Fightings Without Fears Within. Uh, last week, someone told me they call this a theology of suffering. And that really is a good way to put it because we've talked about contentment, fears, death. Last week, speaking to your heart. And today, we're going to talk about worry and anxiety. Um, I'm not sure if it was intentional. Uh, sometimes our, ser- our sermon planning is kind of odd especially on Mother's Day, but uh, my first sermon is on anxiety and worry. I didn't pick it, but it was given to me, uh, so we're going to talk about it. And, and the question the last few weeks as people have been finding out that I'm preaching, uh, the response hasn't been, hey, that's awesome, I'm so happy for you. Every single person has asked, hey, are you nervous? Hey, are you nervous? You know, the last three weeks or so, and my response has been, well, I'm teaching on anxiety and worry, so I'm not allowed to be nervous. And that response really is a joke, but there is some truth into that. That is kind of the misconception on anxiety is, hey, just stop doing it. Don't be anxious. Stop. Cut it out. And that's kind of unfair to people that struggle with anxiety. It's minimizing a reality. And it's also just not true of how the Christian life is. Um, There's also some in the Christian world that kind of say that Christianity should be just always happy. There should never be any worry, never any suffering. That's just dishonest and unfair as well. Um, The Christian life uh, is not painless, and it will not guarantee that you don't struggle struggle physically, spiritually, or emotionally. In in Paul's fourth letter to the church of Philippi, uh, he's not telling his audience, if you're a Christian, you're done. There's no more struggles no, he, he reminds them that, in, if, that the Lord will meet you in the midst of your circumstances, in the midst of your struggles. So today we're going to look at the problem of peace, the practice of peace, and the secret to peace. Um, over the last few weeks, we've mentioned that this series has been heavily, heavily influenced by Spiritual Depression, which is a book by Martin Lloyd-Jones. And it's been extremely helpful in our sermon prep, and we've actually been reading it this spring as part of our book club uh, on Tuesday mornings. Um, when we read the chapter in Philippians 4, Drew asked the question, what keeps you up at night? Now, it may not be an everyday occurrence, but you know what I'm talking about. It's the nights that you're restless, you're turning, you just can't seem to shut off your mind. For me, it was Friday night and last night. But you, you guys know what I'm talking about. Um, the whole sort of mattresses, their whole camp advertising campaign is built on, we can give you peace, we can end your restlessness, you can finally stop counting sheep. Uh, in, a, in a very real way, we are restless, and we don't know what to do. Um, we're unlike the psalmist from the call to worship, who's in the middle of a war with his enemy, thousands of them pressing in, and yet for some reason he's able to lie down and actually sleep. In the case of Paul, being an apostle did not make him immune from suffering in circumstances that would cause anxiety. In Second Corinthians, Paul tells us that he has been beaten three times, stoned once, shipwrecked three times, 
And now Paul is pinning his letter to the Philippians, a letter that the church has historically identified as a letter about joy from a prison cell. So it begs the question, what is different about us? What is underneath our restlessness? Lloyd-Jones calls this the tyranny of our circumstances, whether it's a fractured relationship or a loved one that's on their deathbed, job uncertainty, or the budget just not adding up. There's all sorts of circumstances that happen in life. And Lloyd-Jones uses the term tyranny to, des- to describe the oppression that we're facing. Just like those that live in a land with a tyrant that dictates what they do, we, in a very real way, are being oppressed by someone that is outside of our control. The reason Paul describes a peace for your hearts and for your minds is because your hearts and minds are the ones that are tormenting you. Those are the things that you can't, that you can't control. They, they run rampant. You know, and, and it's interesting because our hearts are restless because it's, it's the things that concern us that are consuming us. You know, I don't lose sleep when someone tells me of a distant person that's ill. I do lose sleep when my direct deposit's two weeks away and the math just doesn't add up for the next few weeks. You know, it's the things that our hearts are tied to that capture our attention, that capture our love, both the good things but also our idols. Um, perhaps, perhaps the worst part of anxiety is just the tricks that our minds play on us. Our imaginations can run wild and we can't seem to shut them off. You know, it's just one hypothetical situation after another. And even if you can manage to fall asleep and you finally do, your mind and, and your subconscious is running through your dreams, kind of dictating, you know, other situations. Um, we become victims to these internal tyrants, and it's an exhausting process, both physically, spiritually, and emotionally. I love the way that uh, Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York City, asks it. He asks the question, does your soul have bags under its eyes? And it's really an insightful question because it reveals what we're trying to get at, that, that Paul is describing anxiety and worry as a spiritual restlessness. It's a lack of peace. However, Paul says there is a peace that God will guard your hearts and minds. And the word guard, as we've mentioned in our prayers and in our, in our readings, is a, it's a military word that describes a fortified city. It's a city that's surrounded by soldiers, and the only way to sleep at night when the enemy is pressing in is to know that you are safe in Fort Peace. With a strong army and impenetrable walls, you are free to let the army work on your behalf while you sleep. The peace of God is like this fort. It's a place where we enter in and the doors are shut behind us. Our present circumstances may still be around us, but, but the peace of God is a place of sanctuary and peace for our souls. And this peace, is, it's so counterintuitive. It just doesn't make sense to the outside world. How can we as Christians have peace in our lives if everything kind of seems like it's falling apart? And part of the reason uh, the peace of God is so hard to understand is because it's something unnatural. In verses 11 and 12, Paul says that he had to learn these things. He had to learn the practice and the secret of peace. So let's look at what Paul lays out for us are the practices of peace. He gives us three things we ought to be. He says we ought to be thinking, thinking, and loving. In verse 8, he writes, think about what is true, honorable, and right. This is the complete opposite of what the world tells you. The world tells you the key to anxiety is just shut your mind off, go away, unplug, you know, maybe, maybe go to the golf course or the beach or somewhere. But the problem about unplugging and going away and changing your proximity is that you take your mind and your heart with you. The things that control you, you're taking with you. So regardless of where you're at, you, you may have peace for a little while, but the key is not to unplug. The key is to plug in. Paul tells us, don't stop thinking, but think about what is right. Think about what is true. So as Christians, we have another lens with which to view the world and to view our circumstances. 
We have the big picture of God's past faithfulness and his promise of a new world. Uh, where there will be no more pain and no more, no more sickness and no more death and no more tears. Essentially, Paul is trying to say to remind your heart of what you know to be true. This is, exa- this is exactly what Brandon spoke on last week when he, when he spoke on speaking to your heart and what we've kind of reiterated this sermon series. Uh, and to quote Lloyd-Jones, I think Drew's quoted this several times, it's you have to take yourself in hand, turn in on yourself and say, soul, why are you downcast? Remind yourself of God, who God is, what God has done, and what God has pledged to do. This is what we call preaching the gospel to ourselves. If you're a Christian and you can't seem to find peace, go to where God meets his people. Come to his word, come to his sacraments. Don't unplug, plug in, plug into him. Um, These are the tools that God has given us to energize us by faith. Um, In Romans 8, Paul reminds us that for Christians, God works all things together for our good. All things, even the bad things that make no sense at the moment, He's working towards our good. Remind yourself that if you're in Christ, you're hidden in him. You're under his protection. You're inside of his fort. Think about Jesus. Jesus is the most true and trustworthy and honorable thing to set your heart to. Look up to him and see that the Lord is smiling over you. Secondly, Paul teaches to be thankful. He says, make your requests known to God and give thanks. He doesn't say, make your requests known to God, wait, and then if it happens, give thanks. He says, no, give thanks to God. Make, make your request and make, give thanks. And that's so upside down to what, to what the world says to do, especially when we're in a situation that seems completely overwhelming. A few weeks ago, Drew asked the question, do you ever thank God for the things that go against you? And that really is a piercing question, because if we're honest, most of us have plans for our lives, and it would just save God a lot of time and energy if he would just make our plans come true. But fortunately, his ways aren't our ways. Um, I'm reminded of Romans 11 where Paul says, Of the depths of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgments and how unknowable are his ways. For who has known the mind of our Lord who has been his counselor? Scriptures like this give us a peace that God is in control and he's working all things on our behalf and for our good, whether or not we understand them. I mean, the greatest example of this is the cross. When Jesus is being crucified, I'm sure his friends were saying, God, what are you doing? How are you going to bring good out of this? Like, what is happening here? We wouldn't have been able to see the good and the greatest event in human history, the event that, un- that, that is undoing the curse and bringing restoration. And our lives really are filled with little circumstances that we feel as though God is veering from our plans and doing something we don't understand. I believe it was Timothy Keller who tweeted, um, we can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. I'll, I'll say that again. We can be sure our prayers are answered precisely in the way we would want them to be answered if we knew everything God knows. So the essence of thanking is praising God for being a loving father and trusting that he truly is working all things, especially the bad things, for our good. And the final practice of peace is to be loving. Paul continues in verse 8, and he says, to think about whatever is lovely. That is a loaded statement because it begs the question, what is lovely to me? What is ultimate to me? We discussed a moment ago to think on what is right. The Father's love, the big picture of his faithfulness, and his his working on your behalf. So again, the question is, what do we ultimately love and put our trust in? When my anxiety about finances starts to creep in and consume me, it's probably because my idol of money is, you know, attacking me. When I'm restless over how well I'm going to do preaching, it's because my idolatry of self and acceptance 
is consuming me, when the questions about my future and what it holds for me uh, are, are coming to the forefront of mind and keeping me restless because I've forgotten what Jesus said in Luke 12. He says, consider the ravens. They neither sow nor reap. They have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? If God so clothes the grass, which is alive in the field today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you of you, of you of little faith? We must constantly reorient ourselves to the source of life. If we're trying to attain life through our status, our money, our families, or our names, of course you're going to be restless when circumstances come in and combat the very things that you love. So we need to be plugged in and loving the right things, the true things, the things that give life. And this leads us to the final point, which is the, the secret of peace. Because if we stopped here and we just said, all right, do these things better, I think we're kind of out of luck. Um, Paul, Paul doesn't leave us there. He teaches us the secret of peace. Um, it's not enough to think on these things that are true, right, and lovely. We must be found in him. So look to Jesus. Go to him when you're being oppressed by your heart and your mind. He understands your anxiety and your restlessness because he experienced it. In the Garden of Gethsemane, he was so anxious, he was sweating drops of blood. He was restless as his friends were fast asleep. In the Garden, he modeled how to handle anxiety, how to deal with it. He didn't retreat and unplug. He plugged into his father. He went to his father. He was honest with him about his feelings, but yet he trusted in the father's goodness. He trusted in the father's plan. However, the next day was very different. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that, Jesus became sin for us, and it was in that reversal on the cross where Jesus was treated as we deserved. As he was hanging on the cross, he cried, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And for the first time in all eternity, there was no response from the Father. The secret to this peace is knowing that Jesus cried to a silent Father so that we will never have to. Jesus lost his peace with the Father and suffered his wrath so that we might gain his peace and never have to suffer that wrath Our circumstances may not change. We still may have broken relationships and illnesses and other things that are plaguing us. But the secret of peace is knowing that Jesus will meet you in your peace and he will take you to a place above them. Uh, When our hearts and minds are lying to us, we need to look up. Look to our Father who's smiling upon us. That's our benediction. Every week we recite that, that the Lord is with us. He goes with us. He takes us through the mess. He takes us through the valley of the shadow of death by our side. He may even lead you into it. You see, on the cross, the Father turned his face away from the Son, so now that all those that are in Christ can, can enter into his peace. He is a fort and refuge for all who are weary. So find your sanctuary in him. Find your rest in him. And to the, to the non-Christian, I've thought about how to say this, but I think it's going to be a disservice to not mention it, but in a very real way, you should be anxious, and you should be worried because you're at odds with the Father. But mercy and grace are freely given to those that come to him by faith. You see, the Christian life is not being on the front lines, wielding your sword, fighting for yourself, and you know, going, going against your foes. Being a Christian is a posture of weakness. It's a stopping to rest and letting the Lord work on your behalf. So to the Christian, stop and remember your rest. Remember the peace of God that you have. And to the non-Christian, come to Jesus. He is tender and gentle and yet strong enough to protect you. See his body broken and his blood spilled and come to him by faith. Enter into his peace. Um, as we close in prayer, I'm going to read a prayer from Scotty Smith, who's a pastor in Nashville, and it's just a title, it's entitled A Prayer on Anxiety. And he prays right through this, uh, this passage, and I think he does a marvelous job. 
So pray with me uh, as we read this. Father, we have more than ample reasons to rejoice in you as this day begins and continues. Our lives are hidden in yours, and our life, and your life in us is our hope of glory. You are our perfect righteousness and our constant advocate and our sovereign Lord. Because of your relationship with us and who we are in you, we can risk being gentle in relationships in which we might otherwise feel the instinct to be rigid or the need to be in control. We're not alone to fend for ourselves. You are so near, both in terms of proximity and your return, and we have never longed more for your return. You tell us, do not be anxious about anything. Jesus, we are so glad that everything you command, you resource with sufficient grace. So we cast our cares on you and bring these anxieties to your throne of grace. With palms up, we give you the people we love to fix, the storylines we love to finish, the culture wars we'd love to win, the heartaches we'd love to heal, and the circumstances we'd love to alter. Jesus, thank you for the promise of setting your peace as a garrison for our hearts and minds. We gladly enter Fort Peace, double bolt the door. Jesus, you are the truest, most noble, right, pure, lovely, and praiseworthy reality we can think of or imagine. So we set our gaze and affection on you, O blessed author of our perfect faith. Take our thoughts to think with your mind, overflow our hearts with your beauty and compassion, and free our hands to free our hands and feet to serve as your bidding. We pray in your tender and triumphant name. Amen. Amen. I, I whispered to Joe and he sat down. Dude, you're gonna get us out of here early this morning. He said, I don't know enough to be long winded. And I and I said and I thought, you know, you don't have to know a whole lot to be long winded, so um, no, Joe, thank you. Just so you know, I didn't say this before, Joe's an intern here. Uh, he graduated seminary this fall, or excuse me, this past spring, and so for the next year, he's going to be preparing for ordination, at the end of which we would need to ordain him, or we would need to help him try to find a place uh, where he can minister as a teaching elder. So be in prayer for our session, for our leadership, and for him, but Joe, thanks. Uh, it was a great, great blessing, great encouragement to us. And so if you know the scriptures well, and I know you guys pretty well, most of you anyway, and I know this is a problem for us as a culture, it's a problem for us as a church, we are anxious people, and uh, when Jesus starts to address that in the scripture, he says the solution to our anxiety uh, is to know the Father's love. He says, oh, you have little faith, why are you so troubled, why are you so anxious? You have a Father in heaven whose pleasure it is to give you the kingdom. When we're anxious, we're not living as if we really believe that to be true. And so that's the power of these words here at the end of our, of our service, is yet again we turn our face to the Father, who when I raise up my hands over you, it is a sign of his uh, hovering over you to bless and to protect and to provide for you, of his smile uh, shining down upon you in all that you go to do now. And so Christian, heed these words, uh, and may they come into your soul uh, and may they truly be uh, the, the remedy and the cure uh, for the anxious heart. This is what the Father uh, desires to do for you. So receive this benediction. May the Lord bless you and may keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace as he's desiring to do both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace this week.